The sales robots have taken over, and they're decimating deals left and right, destroying them right in their tracks. On the AI for Sales podcast, our mission is to empower everyday sellers to embrace AI superpowers to build new bridges and crush quota. Dr. Joel Lebon said it best in the AI for Sales book, in sales, time kills deals. In AI for Sales, AI kills time. Join our hosts as we learn from the C-suite of the world's fastest growing companies about how you can leverage AI today to transform your sales revenue engine while being the best version of you. Hey there, welcome to the latest episode in the AI for Sales podcast. I'm your host, Joe Papa, founder and CEO of Traversity and host of season two, co-host of season two for the AI Sales for Sales podcast. Today, I'm super excited to uh, have as our guest, David Sturgeon. David is the CEO and co-founder of Uncanny.gg, which is a gaming and esports technology platform that turns streamers into broadcasters. Okay, and when I talked to David before the podcast, he told me he, he's been at least five years plus deep in AI. So I'm so excited to hear about what you're working on, David. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, man. So before we get started, this is something that Chad kind of uh, put into the podcast. But he's, he's like, you know, when you were younger, what were you into, man? Like, what were you totally, like, obsessed with? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I was a nerd through and through. Um, and, you know, not to date myself too much, but this was the early days of the Internet. So I got to see that kind of grow and be birthed. And I uh, I was super into online games, the very first version of online games. So, you know, back in the, the late 90s, you didn't have any kind of graphical interface. It wasn't like Call of Duty these days. Everything was text-based. We called them multi-user dungeon games, MUDs. Uh, and I fell in love really early, so much so that I uh, would get myself into trouble from time to time, hanging out in the computer lab, building these things and hosting them and creating them. And uh, even into college, uh, I did a lot of that. So, yeah, I mean, obsessed is a great word. That was uh, quite literally uh, what I was obsessed with for a good seven or eight years. And I got pretty deep into it. I built a, a massive game that, you know, I was 17 years old, tens of thousands of people were playing across the, the internet. So, uh, wow. yeah, early, early tech. That's, that's awesome. You know, my son, I have, a, I have four kids. My, I have a five-year-old son right now who's like obsessed with Minecraft. Yeah, like, that's right age. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a six-year-old um, who just learned about Minecraft, uh, and we were we were a small anecdote, but we bought him a little Minecraft stuffed toy. He named it Sheila, and it's his best friend now in the entire world. And I could, but yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been in the gaming industry for a long time, and um, you never used to see this, but these days there's very much a progression of kind of uh, adoption of these games, right? Like younger kids usually start with Minecraft, maybe Roblox, kind of interchangeable. Um, and then inevitably over the last like five, six years, they moved to Fortnite and then they progress into other games from there. But, you know, based on the age, you tell me of your kids, I could probably guess with a reasonable amount of accuracy what game they're playing. 
Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's nuts. Yeah, it's a it's a it's something. It's a it's amazing at such a such a young age to be able to you know build these kind of things. Like he's showing me how to build houses and all kinds of you know. And he's got to teach me how to play, of course. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like he's got to show. That's me. yeah. That's that's the best part, though, right? Like sharing that experience, finding something that you love. I mean, games in a lot of ways have a lot of value. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of downside to anything that you spend too much time doing. But, um, you know, I've found that it's helped my kid with a lot of reading. It's helped my kid with a lot of kind of you know, critical thinking. So, um, I mean, I would like to think that, you know, it helped me when I was younger playing Mario. But I don't know. That's the court's still out on that. So. <laughs> At least it was fun, right? At least it was fun. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. So I, I know we, we are planning to talk about a lot of things, AI, but mm. I, I do want to get deeper into this because I'm really, yeah. really excited about like the gaming side. I, I'm not I'm not sure we've had a guest on our show before that, uh, you know, has the experience that you have with gaming. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more on how gaming plays into business? Are there opportunities there? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing that I'll say on that is that the game industry is is the biggest entertainment industry in the world. Um, right now, gaming is bigger than movies and music. And I think magazines combined, maybe even more industries, but it's massive. The last number I heard was something like $170 billion a year. So in and of itself, games as a business is a really interesting topic to dive into. And there's a lot of facets to that industry, right? Whether it's game development, whether it's all of the marketing or advertising or sales or infrastructure, all the things that you need to really create good games. Um, But, you know, some games that create their own economies, some games create their own businesses in, in the game itself, right? Like, um, not to go back too far, but there was a game for a while called EverQuest. And this is the first time I ever heard of it. It maybe had happened before this, uh, but people would create player characters in the game and then go sell access to that character in real life for reasonably good money. And essentially what you're doing is you're selling time, right? Like I spend 160 hours building this character And then I go sell that to somebody who just wants a high level player and doesn't want to spend the 160 hours and have that prestige. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the industry has progressed to really very interesting things from the, all the whole skins, the loot boxes to, um, you know, microtransactions versus, uh, you know, free games versus paid games. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting business. It's very complicated. It's very nuanced in some ways. Um, and it's much more, uh, I would say robust and inclusive than, than it kind of a top level down glance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So I, I'm, I want to dig into your company, David. So yeah. let's talk about uncanny.gg. Can you tell me sort of how it all started? Where are you at now? And like what, what you would want our, our audience to know? Yeah, um, I'll give you a really quick brief history. I mean, we have our roots as a a company in the gaming industry. When we started the business, uh, my co-founder and I uh, were building for esports players is essentially what we were doing. Um, And I'll give you kind of a little bit of lore, but uh, we used to 
have you know game nights every weekend. I was working in a e-commerce company. He's a, uh, a Oxford PhD that worked on NASA projects, so he was off doing that. And for you know, for years, we would just every Friday get together, have beers and pizza, and play games. And um, depending on the weekend, we'd play games that I liked versus games that he liked. And uh, he was really, really good at fast-paced first-person shooters, and I was just not good at those games. And I couldn't figure out why. Like I practiced, he'd still win. I didn't get it right. Um, and so we looked to see like how people train and what people are doing to really get good at these games. I mean, it was at the very beginning of kind of the esports hype cycle in 2017, 2018. Uh, we, we found that there really wasn't anything out there. You could hire a coach. You could look at statistics. You could watch a lot of stuff online. There are training books and stuff like that. But there was never any tool that could really make you better. And so we endeavored to build that. And we looked at the industry. And if you look at all these gaming companies, they're all entirely independent. They're all competitors. So how do you actually like engage a product with such disparate types of companies? Like if I build something exclusively for game A, then I have to go negotiate an entirely different arrangement for game B, right? And game C and game D and, you know, game A now is out of favor. And so we need to build for a whole new game, right? And we really were looking for ways to avoid to have to engage with these massive companies. We were a no-name startup. They weren't going to listen to us anyways. So that's where AI started to come into the picture. We started thinking, how do you actually train in real life, right? How does a, how does a person train? Well, you have a coach that watches what you do, and their experience from watching a bunch of other people can turn around and give you tips on what to do better, like how to improve. And so we did that. We, we were one of the first or very early companies doing computer vision <clears throat> or machine learning, machine vision, excuse me. Um, and we did that. We trained a bunch of machine vision models to watch these games, watch professional players play and create an archetype of what that looked like from a data perspective. And then amateurs would come and they'd upload their videos. The AI would analyze that and then it would compare the two and say, this is what you need to improve to be as good as this player. Uh, and we dove deep into that. So that was our first foray into AI. Um, it kind of progressed from there. We, we went into the broadcasting, but uh, that was the roots, right? That's where we started. So, yeah. Awesome. That's so fascinating that you bring up the, uh, you know, this feedback, right, with video. Like applied to gaming, it could also be applied to really almost anything, especially sports, live sports, right? Watching yeah. the pros, watching the people that are really good, you know, top in the game, like what are they mm -hmm. doing? And then comparing yourself against that. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've really spent a lot of time thinking about that exact thing. Um, with gaming, you have a little bit of an advantage because it's a unified interface and a unified viewport, right, that everybody has to play within. So if you are, a, you know, a pitcher versus, you know, you're a six foot tall pitcher versus a five foot five pitcher, your experience of that game is very different. Your arm length, all the various different things. But, you know, somebody playing Overwatch or Call of Duty is, has the exact same interface. Right. And mm -hmm. so we can see exactly how they perform and we can see it from the perfect angle every time. And that gave us a lot of unification that made it possible to do this compare and contrast. There's ways to do that in real life. And there, I think there are some companies who are trying to 
really pull interesting, compelling data from sports broadcasts. I know they're doing it in soccer. Um, but yeah, machine vision is a unique tool for that, right? It gives you this ability to collect an enormous amount of data and process it very, very quickly. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the foundation for most AI, I think, is you have this, all of this information that's created and processed and, um, and, and for us, that was what really made, gave us a unique edge in a lot of different ways from, from a business standpoint, whether you're, you know, building a, a, a singular machine vision model that could be used across multiple games and could be trained very quickly across multiple games, or you're building one very specifically for a game to go really deep. Um, a lot of the technology is the same. And so it, it became a really important part of our business model. And I like the way that it's progressed in sports and other things like that. So I bet we'll see more of that, I think, as time goes by, more types of that. I know we're doing it in other industries, construction and whatnot, but yeah, yeah. performance performance games uh, or performance endeavors, I think it's going to be really important. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of people, I, I work in the business space quite often right now, but I've come from the research and development space. That's my background. 25 years, I used to work at Bell Labs, you know, in the same building with Jan LeCun. Like what I'm always fascinated about is that you, there's an enormous amount of, of uh, technology in the research world. Like if you look at published papers, if you look at papers with code, you know, now hugging face, like you have all these models that have been developed. And if you have your own custom data sets, now there's, you know, it's, it's not as difficult to train and deploy a machine learning model to do some something pretty powerful. Yeah. I'm curious about your, go, go ahead, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. It's just, it's just gonna get easier and easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious about your strategy because this is this is, in, in my opinion, this is like really the untapped world in in AI for sales, AI for business. Like at a high level, this is the really the untapped world. What, what was your strategy like in terms of uh, b designing machine learning models, gathering the data, training and testing them, deploying them? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, and it gives me the opportunity to kind of go dig into the rest of what our company did and how we progressed. So um, I'll get to that in just one second. But so we started as this like AI training solution. We found that we had a lot of problems uh, with the business side of things, not the technology side of things like gamers didn't like to practice. We had I, we essentially had all the same problems of an ed tech company and a fitness company. Like, how do you train people and then how do you get them to go to the gym? It just wasn't like we weren't growing as fast as we would have liked. Um, and so we were looking at other parts of the industry and how do we actually apply this? And uh, at the time, everything we were doing was a video review. So you have to upload a video and you, we would process it and then we would output results. Uh, but around that time, our, our the innovation happened internally where we were able to reduce the size of our models. We were able to execute and run them much faster uh, and we were able to do that in the cloud. And what that opened up is real time. We were able to now watch games in real time and, and do the analysis in real time. Essentially, we had a five millisecond delay from when a video stream would come in, when the processing would happen, and then when, when, uh, when the output would come out. And, and a lot of that was explicitly because of how we built the models, right? We, we built 
you know, it, it tried to avoid using GPUs. We tried to, or excuse me, CPUs. We tried to focus on, no, avoid GPUs, focus on CPUs. We tried to make sure that everything was running asynchronously and that we could run them on spot instances, things that were, were very lightweight so that we could do it really, really quickly. And when we figured out this real-time opportunity, essentially that allowed us to watch every live stream of every gaming live stream in the world simultaneously in real time and produce data. So it instantly led to kind of like, what's the business application of this? And we found that the live streaming industry was incredibly attractive. There was an enormous amount of people there. The money was there. There was a lot of advertising dollars that were going into it. And our technology provided value for a lot of these creators because we could watch their stream in real time. And instead of train them to be better, we could make their production better. So we could increase the do like scene changes or provide data overlays or instant replays, all the various things that you would see in a sports broadcast uh, that just can't be done with a single person behind a, a, a keyboard. Well, they're still playing a game, right? And mm-hmm. So we, we found that there was this problem there and we tried to address it, but the, the architecture of how we built things, the way that we approached the problem of running these AI models was very much responsible for us even being able to address that. Um, and it, it was, and can, I, I, would, I would argue it's probably one of our greatest innovations in this business is the ability to run these AI's models as fast as, and well, more, more importantly, as many as we do, right? Because we're analyzing on any given frame of a live stream, something like 40 to a hundred different data points. And so it's quite a lot of information that we're trying to pull uh, and we got to do it now. Uh, so, it, you know, it requires a lot of, uh, of infrastructure challenges, addressing a lot of infrastructure challenges and model challenges and data challenges and all sorts of others. But yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. So that's where the podcast for streamers comes from. Podcast. Uh, Broadcasting for streamers. Broadcasting for streamers. Broadcasting for streamers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Broadcasting for streamers. Do you do you see other applications of this beyond gaming? Yeah. I mean if you look at AI in general, you know and I'm sure you've had much smarter people on the podcast than me talking about this, but yeah, you have a lot of consolidation with people who have hardware, right? Because that's really has, well, historically has been the biggest bottleneck for training a lot of models and creating these really in-depth AI models. Um, you know, if you can address that problem, you democratize the access in a lot of different ways, right? So if you can create AI models that can run you know, on a Raspberry Pi or something very small, a chip, right? Think about all the, the the cost savings that you have in that scenario, right? Because now instead of bandwidth costs, processing costs in a massive data center, you can just run these models on this little chip and you can get the data that you need, probably for a very specified application, but still the data that you need um, instantly in the location that you need it, right? So a good example of that would be like, you know, CCTV monitoring. We, you know, that's a, a really easy leap, right? You can take um, infrastructure and you can plug it into a camera. And actually, I think we know that this is happening right now. I don't remember the name of the company, but 
Um, and then you don't have to worry about all the big overhead costs of managing this big system. You're just running this one camera and it's essentially just a little upgrade to that. And you're getting all of this much, much more interesting analysis and data and you know, whether it's security or whether it's inventory optimization or whatever you're doing, um, there's a lot of really interesting applications for that. So, um, you know, we, we talk a lot in our industry about the, the, you know, the number of parameters that a model's trained on or how big something is. And, um, you know, Google's next model, BART is going to be bigger than GPT or whatever it is. And, um, and that's a really interesting conversation to have. And I think it's really important for the state and, and the, the, you know, I guess the, progression that we're in with the technology. Um, but if you can make something small, you can make it simple, you can make it cheap. Um, the, the types of applications that you're going to get access to is just going to be magnified by orders of magnitude at that point, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I could give you probably a dozen, like, you know, uh, random theoretical examples of how you might be able to apply it. But I think the more important idea is the theory and, and we've seen it proven things like iPhones and you know computers computer chips get smaller every year and it makes them cheaper it makes them do more so I think the same thing's going to apply to AI awesome yeah you bring up a great point where uh, it, it, you know everybody's talking about large language models these days and and you know more, more hundreds of billions of parameters and they keep just growing and growing but you know people are not talking about oh i want to deploy these things and you know all of a sudden like okay what do we what do we run what kind of hardware are we running this on you know yeah okay we're doing api calls to to chat gpt or or you know whatever models they're providing but at the same time it's like the more specific you can get in your task, then you can reduce the complexity of the model and then deploy it, you know, in cases like, you know, edge. And now you don't have to worry about privacy issues as much because you're either training on the edge or doing federated training or minimizing the amount of data that's going back and forth between the system and the cloud. Uh, yeah. I mean, API calls are great. There's latency there. It usually is pretty cheap. Um, but it also, I think, is pretty limited. I, I, I like I like the idea of using edge computing as much as possible for AI deployment because you have a lot of access to um, essentially instant cheap infrastructure. So yeah, there's there's a lot of cool things that you can dive into there, and I think we're not there yet, really, to be honest. Um, there's not a massive amount of need there. I think you have. You have companies in the construction space that are, I think, approaching this problem a lot, right? Because there's a lot of optimization that can happen there. Um, I have a friend who is building a gun detection AI uh, for schools and, and public buildings. And, mm -hmm. and I know that they have infrastructure issues, right? So, you know, I, there's certainly a need in some cases, but, you know, the robustness, the accuracy, the ability for it to be really um, complete and effective, I think is also really important. And so a lot, you have to approach the big models first and understand how we can actually make this happen first at, at a big scale before you try to reduce it. We were in a unique scenario where, you know, we really had this, this problem that people just didn't want to wait an hour to upload a seven gigabyte 
video of their gameplay, right? And so it was much, much better for us to just watch them play the game as they were playing. And that was a core business problem for us. So really, we were never going to be able to go any further with just a VOD review. We really had to have that real-time element. And so when we dove into working on it and started addressing some of these problems of doing things that you know, smaller scales and much quicker. Um, it was a necessity thing more than anything else. So, and we faced a lot of issues because of it with what I just said, with, with accuracy, with the ability for it to, you know, constantly be effective. There were times where, uh, you know, especially in training or, you know, we were, we were doing tournament validation for a while and you have to be very accurate for this stuff, right? You have to get this data or it throws off the entire data set. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're comparing, whether or not you have a good aim to the best player in the world with good aim, if those data sets are off, you're going to give them wrong information. And so uh, we had all sorts of issues of like, what if this spot instance disappeared midstream? Like, how do we handle that? And like, what do we do in those scenarios? So it, it became, uh, it became fun challenges that we had to address. That's awesome. I love how you bring up the, the, the problem of tackling things in real time mm-hmm. like with the streaming it, that, you know, that that I believe is going to be more of a focus as we go another through this year and the next year out is now you have all, all of these capabilities. But, you know, especially when it comes to like images and video things that are happening, you know, with record on the recordings, it's one thing to edit a recording, another thing to be able to. Um, you know, modify things in real time. What's what's the user experience like for your tool? So they're playing a game, and uh, are are they getting like real time feedback? What's it like? Yeah, so that's an interesting point that you just talked about because that's the core problem for live streamers, right? So if you think about YouTube, if I'm a content creator on YouTube, I have an unlimited amount of time to create a video, right? I can record the content, I can edit it, I can spend months learning how to do the graphic design, I can take all the time in the world I want. But when you're doing a live broadcast on YouTube or TikTok or Twitch or wherever it is, that's all happening right now. There's no room for you to like pause and oh, let me do this thing then, right? It's It all has to happen in the moment. And, you know, if you look at the last 60 years of, of linear television and broadcast for sports, you have teams of 20, 30, 100 people who are working on these things that are creating essentially the same content, same kind of content for the same kind of audience, right? Um, and now we're asking people to do that with one person in a PC in a webcam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a demand for that kind of content. So, you know, that problem is real. And that's one of the reasons why if you look at a Twitch broadcast, you know, seven years ago, it probably will look very similar, if not identical to a Twitch broadcast today, right? It's just a webcam and a video game or a cooking show or whatever, right? It's because mm-hmm. that's all that you have the bandwidth to do. Not only that, but like a lot of it's user generated content, right? So a lot of these kids don't have the skill set to do graphic design or to do motion editing or to be a director or associate producer or associate producer, whatever the skill is that you need to create the broadcast. Um, and so the user experience for us was meant to not add anything to the gamers, ex- the, the player's experience, but add mm-hmm. everything to the viewer's experience, right? And we really cared very heavily about the viewer of this content. So perfect example of that. 
a streamer installs our stuff and, and Uncanny. It's really very simple for them to do. It takes them no time at all. Um, and then they forget it. It just works. The AI watches their stream from that point forward, and it will inject production elements onto their broadcasts. Um, the most simple one to understand is an instant replay. You do something awesome in the game. The AI recognizes you did something awesome. Streamer still playing. It doesn't stop. It doesn't have to do anything. But the AI will do it for you, and it'll show an instant replay. Maybe it's like just the bottom third, or maybe it takes up your whole screen. Whatever it is, it'll make that judgment based off of like how cool the event was, or a bunch of heuristical kind of decision trees that we have. But um, yeah, so so the user experience for the viewer is drastically changed because now you know now I have access to this whole other experience that's much more in line with what I'm kind of used to with their sports broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all lessons that we've learned from sports over the last 70 years. Like instant replays were the first things that were brought to the NFL, the first embellishment that was brought to the NFL right after like the bottom third name. Right? <laughs> and and they was, then they had the scoreboard and then instant replays, right? It's just, it's something that that makes the, the production better. It makes the experience more interesting. And then you follow that rabbit hole down and you can have highlight reels or you can have, you know, data cards. If, um, you know, I'm running through a game and I, you know, in Fortnite and I eliminate another player, you know, maybe that player was another famous streamer. We can see that and we can create some, you know, some excitement around that. Oh, you just killed the most famous streamer in the game. Like whatever, you know, these are all very, or the other side of things, you're running and doing nothing and boring your audience to death. And we start playing elevator music, right? Like <laughs> things that, that the streamer, you know, can, can tune to their personality. And eventually the AI will be able to identify for their personality by watching all their past historical broadcasts, but um, they can tune it now and they'll create better production. Yeah. That's awesome. You you had mentioned ed tech before, mm. and as you're as you're talking through the gaming, it's 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 not the same. But I'm thinking like when we're give you know that's our space in true true we we're all ed tech. So when we're doing a live training session, like it would be great to be able to have like the bottom third come up. And then as we're talking, maybe something gets zoomed in or goes off to some text on the screen, like jumps to like some call out or something. Has there been, are are there anything available in the ed tech space? Have you thought about using your technology in ed tech? Yeah. So uh, I don't know of anything currently, if there is anything there. Um, For us, we've definitely thought about all the kind of various different applications that we can apply the technology to. you know, it, normally it's like kind of horizontal steps from where we're at. We're starting with gaming and moving to cooking or travel and things like that. But education and training is certainly something that the technology would work for. What's actually more interesting, I think, for ed tech is customized, ma- essentially mass personalization, right? So if I am coming to a class, and we know this from traditional education, Um, I'm going to have very different needs and I'm going to have very different things that I struggle with in that training than you will. Right. And then I have just different experiences and different things I'm good at. Right. Um, presumably you could train an AI model and I'm almost certain that you'd be able to do this within the near future, train an AI model that understands those things about me. And then those overlays that you're seeing are exclusively tailored for me. 
on the things that I'm not great at, right? Like maybe I'm really great at reading, but I'm not so great at math. And you're talking about some kind of mathematical training and the overlay is created on the fly to accentuate that point and to help me personally understand. But maybe you don't get that overlay because you're really great at math and you much you struggle with language or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think when we talk about AI in general, education is probably one of the more interesting kind of markets that I like thinking about for applications. Um, I think that there's a lot of improvement in a lot of different ways there. And I think AI is the perfect tool for that. So mm -hmm. whether it's, uh, whether it's ed tech, whether it's in-person training, whether it's elementary school, I think there's value there. Um, from the computer vision standpoint, from the stuff that we make, the actual technology for that's not that difficult. You just have to have an understanding about what you're training. And then the, the machine learning is pretty advanced at this point. I mean, we're talking about being there or relatively close to complete self-driving cars, right? If it can mm -hmm. do that well, yeah, it's going to be able to recognize something on a, you know, an ed tech broadcast, right? So, uh, yeah, I think there's value there. It's just figuring out how to apply it right, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Siri knows many things. Oh, Siri knows. Siri knows many things. There you go. AI, it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, that's great, David. Well, we're uh, we're coming up close to the end here. I want to ask you uh, one more question, and we'll 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 let people know how to uh, reach you and mm -hmm. your company for more information. Uh, so, just general, like, what's your thoughts on AI, like in the near future? What do you see happening? Oh man, that's a big question for coming up on the end. <laughs> Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways we're much further along than people think. And in a lot of ways we're much further behind than people think. Right. Um, I, I, I love AI as an augmentation tool. Everybody is building something for AI right now. 99.9% .9 of those don't matter. Um, some of them are going to be really cool tools. Some of them are just going to be flash in the pan kind of hype train events. Uh, I think there's a lot of, of fundamental changes that happen to our society because of it. I mean, this is coming from somebody who watched the computer age, right? Well, watch the internet age, maybe not the computer age, but certainly the internet age, right? I remember sitting on AOL when I was young. And if I was like, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the stage that we're at now, the CompuServe AOL stages, right? Something a little bit cool has happened and everybody's paying attention now, right? Um, but if you look at the progression of that, where we're going to be in 10 years and 15 years is going to be relatively unrecognizable as to, as to that. You'd never be able to predict. And everybody thinks that they can too, right? Like, oh, I can predict. No, you can't predict what's going to happen with AI. You can make some relatively good guesses um, and educated guesses, but you can't say this is the progression or this is how it's going to affect the human race or even this is how it's going to affect this industry. Nobody knows. Probably crazy, like intense, mind boggling changes are going to happen in all sorts of ways. But I couldn't tell you at all what they are, you know, and I spend an enormous amount of my time thinking about this kind of thing. And, um, but I do get that same feeling. And I think if you if you go and talk to the smartest people in the AI industry, the people who really are trying to make something and build something fundamental, I think they'll all probably tell you that same thing. That I, I just get this feeling 
that something is happening right now that's a little bit bigger than I'm capable of understanding or I'm capable of seeing. Um, and I think that's that's very, very true. And, and that's certainly how I feel about AI. I feel you can see very cool short-term applications. The stuff that we're building right now is really cool. And it's probably uh, nothing compared to what will exist in five years, right, or 10 years. And um, and I love that. And I think that that's powerful. And I think that that's the kind of change that uh, a really great technology can bring to the world, whether it's the, you know, the cotton gin or the internet or, you know, anything, Velcro. It's all, it's all interesting, you know? And, you know, and, and I'll, I'll even just to spin it back to my company for a minute, if you don't mind, like, we are constantly progressing, right? We built this, this AI for broadcasting. And now, I mean, you, you guys focus a lot on sales. Right now, the most interesting revenue generating um, segment of our business are businesses and brands because we can give them the play of the game moment. We can give them that that experience where they can inject their brand and get brand visibility at the moment where everybody in the audience is paying the most attention because we know that's when it's happening because we have to create production around it, right? So now we can go to you know Coca-Cola and say, do you want to own the play of the game for this? Well, we know it's going to happen and we can just attach it in a non-intrusive, very organic way rather than have it just be slapped on to a stream Um the way I like to think about it is exactly that. Like you could buy a advertisement on the, in the stands of a stadium, right? And have your brand there and that's great. Or you could have it on the ESPN broadcast, right? As Steph Curry scores the game winning basketball, right? Like that's the moment that you as a brand want to own. And that's why it's so much more expensive. And that's why it's so much more engaging. And for all of the streaming industry, we have the ability to do that. We're exclusively have the ability to do that. And, um, and it, it's just a side effect of this technology that we created. It was not our core business, right? But it's certainly making us the most money right now. And it's like certainly the, the probably the next six months of my life is just diving into these brand relationships. And, um, you know, you asked me even even a year ago whether that would be the case, and I would have probably argued with you, right? But <laughs> here we are, right? So, yeah, that's great, man. I'm so I love seeing what you're doing with the technology and the applying it to to monetize it in this way where it's uh, you know natural and also of high value to businesses. That's yeah. that's amazing, man. I, so I really uh, appreciate us being able to actually do that. You know, to 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 in, to improve. The production is what we've been trying to do for the last three years, make this better. And uh, this is just another way of doing it, right? It's just improving advertisements. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. how, do, how do businesses reach out to you if they want to get uh, some branding in, in these video games? Yeah. Um, Brands.uncanny.gg is the best way. So we have a we have an exclusive site that we just built uh, over the course of a couple of weeks. We because I'm not kidding. We got this this crazy amount of demand almost out of nowhere, um, and we just started getting calls. So we, we built a site. It's really easy to get in contact with us there, or just email me, David at Uncanny GG. Either way, awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. It's a huge huge opportunity because as you know, as someone who wants to do paid advertising, it's like you look for these 
like magic places where no, where people don't know about it yet, right? You know, like yeah. that's where you have the opportunity to get in, get in there. Yeah. Cost, you know, and, cost. and you just, you have an engaged audience, right? And that's, that's really unique. I mean, paid advertising is tried and true. It works very, very well in lots of different ways. But there's a lot of dynamic, very interesting demographics that you can access through streaming. Um, and if you if you just slap a video commercial on there, people don't pay attention anymore. They click the skip button or they're just zoned out, right? But mm-hmm. if you inject yourself in the moment, I mean, think about that with a, you know, a game-winning play in whatever, in a basketball game. If you're attaching your brand to that moment, everybody clips that and they all share it on their social medias, right? Oh, look what Steph Curry just did. And if the Gatorade logo is attached with that, that is like secondary and tertiary types of engagement that they just didn't even have the ability to get before, right? All free. So, yeah, that's I'm, I'm glad you recognize that. Thanks, man. Powerful stuff. All right, man, this was a great conversation. I, I know that the audience got a lot of value out of this. And I, I had so many ideas coming through my head as you were telling us what, what you do. Thank you for being on the show, David. I, it's so great to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate all the questions. Thank you for bringing me on and letting me ramble for a little bit. <laughs> all right. Awesome. You can uh, check us out at uh, uh, AI for Sales podcast. Um, you can find out uh, more about David's company at uncanny.gg. And uh, if you'd like to know more about uh, training and learning about AI, come visit us at trueversity.com, T-R-U-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. We have plenty of training programs to help you navigate the world of AI. Thanks again, David, for being on the show. And everybody, have a great week. Hey, you made it this far in your AI for sales journey. Want to augment your sales growth? First, leave us a review and then visit www.scalex.ai to claim your free strategy session today.